what a Savior. That's why we celebrate Christmas, because what a Savior the Father has given to us. I hope you all had a glorious Christmas celebration in your home, in your family. I love the Christmas season. I love singing the song. That's why I just, I, listen, I don't want to quit singing Christmas songs just because we're a couple days after Christmas, all right? So we're, we're going to go ahead and sing them today. I think it's awesome. And, and you know what? I love seeing people that I haven't seen in a while because family members have a way of showing up. And, and uh, so it's always good to see family members. After you've been here for a few years, you kind of get to know who the family members are. You recognize those faces when they come through the door and you see them sitting out and scattered amongst the, the congregation. It's such a blessing and such a wonder. But now, we've got another day coming up next week. New Year's Day. You know, I've often wondered, why is New Year such a big deal? I mean, really, it's 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 kind of another day, isn't it? But I think for most of us, we get excited about New Year's because it's a time to turn the page. Start it all over again. It's like a fresh beginning every 12 months. I don't know about you, but I need a fresh beginning probably a little bit more frequently than that. But at least once every 12 months, it's nice to turn the page and say, you know what, let's just go back to the 1st of January. Let's start this all over again and see if we can do a better job with it this time than we did the last time. In order to do that, I think sometimes we need to evaluate where we've been, what we've done, how we've lived, the choices we've made, the priorities we've set, the courses we've charted, those that we've followed and those which we've fallen off of. In order to do that, we need to do a year-end checkup. And this morning, I just want to give you a tool with which to do that. So if you brought a Bible, I want you to take it and turn to Philippians chapter 3. If you haven't figured it out uh, over the last several weeks, I've been doing a lot of reading in Philippians in, in December. And so part of that comes out in the preaching process. And I think that uh, it's important for us to recognize the words that are written for us and what they can teach us. I've had a lot of people in the past who said, you know, Pastor, you talk about doing year-end checkup. You talk about readjusting the course. You talk about getting it. How, how do we do that? I, I don't know how to do a year-end checkup. Well, this morning, I want to give you a little tool. I want to give you a, a way to look at your life and assess what 2019 looked like before you roll over into 2020 and figure out how to attack it. And it really isn't my tool, it's, I think, Paul's tool. In Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul began that chapter, that portion of his letter, by writing about who he was before Christ, his upbringing, his training, his qualifications, what he was about. Basically boasting a little bit in his family, his history, his legacy, and who he was. But if you remember the story of Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, everything changed for him in an instant, in a moment, on the road to Damascus. And that's kind of what happens as he's writing here in chapter 3 of Philippians. He's talking about who he was, and then all of a sudden, everything changed. And that's where we're going to pick up the reading. It's where the change occurs in this narrative. So if you've got your Bible open to Philippians chapter 3, I want to encourage you, find verse 7. That's where we're going to begin. 
Once you've got your Bible open there, if you can and will, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's holy word. Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 7, where Paul says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith." I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning I ask you to bless the reading of your word. I I pray, Father, as we spend these moments together, your spirit would move in this place to touch our hearts, to teach us your truth, and grant to us the courage and the strength through Jesus Christ to walk in that truth. Father, I pray that you would help us to be honest in looking at our lives, where we have succeeded, where we have failed where we need to grow, and where we need to become more like our Lord and Savior. Father, I pray now, speak to our hearts. Teach us your truth. For we're ready to listen and learn. But we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Please do not close your Bible. We're going to stay in this passage of Scripture. We're going to work our way through it a little bit. Paul was a man who, from the time of his conversion experience, was totally committed to Jesus Christ. If you read his story, you understand he had been trained to be a leader, a ruler among the Jews, and yet this man easily described himself as a bondservant, as a slave of Jesus. I know we're not here this morning to measure our lives against the lives of one another. We're not here even to measure our lives against someone such as Paul, thank goodness. But knowing the kind of man that he was and the life that he lived and the ministry that he engaged in, I sometimes find myself looking at him and thinking, man, I wish my life could be just a little bit more like that. It's not. And I'm going to just tell you right now, it never will be. But I do believe that we can look at our commitment, our level of surrender to our master, and we can see where we need to grow, where we need to gain ground. I I want us to just kind of maybe use some measuring sticks, if we might, this morning, that the Apostle Paul would have used possibly based on what he wrote here. And so if you've got your Bible open, we're just going to look at a few things right here that might help us to evaluate our lives 
and our last year of living as we look forward to what lies ahead and how we might grow to become more and more like Christ Jesus. Let, let, me, let me show you the things that kind of popped in my head, okay? Please understand, so much of what I share with you is just born out of my own Bible study. It, it's just born out of sitting in front of my desk with my Bible open and a notepad there and saying, okay, here's what God's showing me right now. And I, and I think sometimes I, I do that and I look at my notepad and think, yep, that won't work. And sometimes I look at the notepad and I think, this is worth sharing. This is one of those days that I was digging through the Word of God and I thought to myself, you know, this might be worth sharing. If I'm going to evaluate my life this morning in front of you, here's how it's going to begin. I'm going to ask myself, the very first question I'm going to ask, what do I consider loss for the sake of Christ? What do I consider loss? And this is a great place to begin for any of us. What do I consider loss for the sake of Christ? When I say that, people say, I don't even know what that means. How have my values changed? How have my values? Listen, I know what I used to consider important. I know the things I used to count as profit. I know the things that when I was younger, I thought, man, if I can get to that place, if I can arrive at this station in life, if I can make this kind of a salary, if I can do this, if I can be that, if I can live in that kind of house or drive that kind of vehicle, if I can arrive at this place, that to me is success. Now, I just want to tell you something. As you get older, your opinion and your definition of success will change. All right, my understanding of success is completely different than what it was when I was a 25-year-old seminary student just trying to figure out how to keep my family fed and a roof over our heads. I've noticed that a lot of those things I thought were so important then, they really don't count for much anymore. My values have changed. You read this third chapter of Philippians, you understand Paul's values had changed when he met Christ and began to grow in Christ, his value, his understanding of what was important began to change. In fact, he looked back at all those things that he thought were important before, and he says in verse 8, I consider everything a loss compared to knowing Christ. He said, I've discovered there's one priority that outweighs every other. There's one thing that's more important than anything else I might try to gain or do, and that's knowing Christ. I want to know him. And I, I just, I, I find myself that place, okay, Tim, you're getting ready to start a new year. What are your priorities? What are the most important things that I can put on my calendar in a new year? What are the most important things that I can say, here's what I want to attack. Here's what I want to tackle. Here's what I, I, I visit with other people. I listen to them. And I've talked to people over the last several weeks who are focused on their careers Maybe they're looking for a job change or they're looking for a promotion. Some are, are concerned about making financial gains or, or gaining a, a little bit different place in their so, social uh, stratosphere or, or maybe getting a new position at their workplace. Or, everyone has things that they've got their eyes set on. But my friend, I want you to understand something. Everyone gets to set their own priority. I cannot set your priorities for you. You cannot establish my priorities for me. We get to set our own. So you have to determine what's the priority in your life. Now be very careful because understand something. When you say something is a priority, you're saying I am going to focus all of my energy, all of my effort, all of my intensity on accomplishing this one thing. What's your priority for 2020? Some of you are sitting there looking at me and saying, I hadn't thought about it. And you will. 
Maybe you haven't yet, but you will. Maybe a moment of nostalgia will kick in and you're going to see an, an old year passing away and say, well, here we go again. What am I going to do this year? And in that moment, you're going to begin to, to find yourself trying to establish what's the priority for the coming year. If you haven't got a priority, let me just bounce something off of you. It's already been bounced off of you several times uh, as we've gone along through the past year. But let me just throw something at you. Who's your one? I've been talking about who's your one for several months. I'm not going to stop talking about it, by the way. You're going to keep hearing me challenging you to discover someone that God will lay on your heart that you can pray for, that you can look for opportunities to share Christ with, that you can invite to come to church with you, that you can make it your goal, your mission, your purpose, your priority in life to help that person find a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's not a bad priority set, by the way. But you have to establish your priority. What is going to be your priority? What do you consider loss for the sake of Christ? Paul said, I count everything that I was, everything that I had before. I can, it's, it's gone. I have one priority, and that is to know Christ. Now, you know, I was reading this, and I was thinking about Paul, and I found myself wondering, did he ever think about this before? And that made me stop and, and question and wonder, when did I last evaluate my spiritual growth? That shouldn't be something that just happens once a year or even once every couple of years or whatever. But in case you haven't thought about it in a while, if you haven't evaluated your spiritual growth and development over the, the last several months or, or maybe even the last year or several years, I want to just back up and say, let's do this together for a second. What's my primary function as a believer? Not just as a believer. Listen, I think a lot of times we, we use the word believer and we think, I'm a convert. I'm saved. I'm born again, therefore I am safe. I don't have to worry about anything else. Let's not use that word. Let's back up and use, let's use a little bit different word. What is my primary goal as a disciple of Jesus Christ? A Christ follower. What am, what am I fixed on? I think way too many people in the church today are just focused on the fact that they're saved. And if they're saved, they're safe. And if they're safe, they can just go about their life and, and not worry about anything else, not have any fear about the future. And, and I'm not saying that that's not true, but there has got to be more to it than that if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And you're going to say, well, this sounds really weird coming from Tim, but let me just go ahead and tell you something. Being saved is not enough. We are called to grow in our relationship with Christ. We are called to be disciples who are interested in and engaged in process that will help others become growing disciples so that they may make disciples, and it becomes a process that multiplies Paul's outline of, of what living life is all about is amazing. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look at verse 10. Just pick this up with me and, and go a little ways. Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. He said, I want to know him. I want to live like him. I want to suffer like him. I want to die like him. I want to be a little Jesus. I want to be a Christian. I want to be a Christ follower. I want to be a disciple. And then in verse 11, he says, and so somehow 
to attain to the resurrection from the dead. After all, that is the end of the story of Jesus, right? At least as far as the earthly concept goes, is the resurrection. He says, I want to walk that whole process. Paul looked in the mirror of his mind and he said, look, it's not that I'm already there. I'm not there. Don't put me on a pedestal. Don't tell me that I'm the model, that I'm the example. I'm not there. I have not already obtained this. I've not already reached perfection. That's why I press on. This is what he's saying. This is why I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. What he's saying is this, friends. I want to become exactly what Jesus intended me to be the day that he captured my heart and made me a new creation. That ought to be the target. That ought to be the goal. That ought to be the priority for each one of us. Paul wasn't talking about his salvation. He already had his salvation. He knew that and he was secure in that. He's talking about his journey of discipleship of growing to be more and more like Jesus. I I read that, I think that, and I think, wow. Because, see, I've read the book of Acts. I hope you have too. Go through there and, and see what Paul had seen. The miles that he had traveled. The sermons that he had preached. The converts that he had seen as people placed their faith in Christ and their lives were changed. The cities and the villages that he had passed through, places where he had stopped and lived and shared the gospel for weeks, for months, and even for years in the process of this. People, thousands of people, perhaps millions of people being exposed to the gospel because of what he was doing. And all along the way, churches were being planted. Churches were being established. Congregations were springing up and coming into being so that even when he left, the gospel was still there being proclaimed and being taught and being propagated and yet he wasn't satisfied he says I want to be more like Jesus I want to be closer to him I I want to identify with with every step of his journey I want to identify with everything he went through let me ask you a question May get a little uncomfortable. It's, it's okay to be uncomfortable in church, by the way. I want you to know that, okay? This may get a little uncomfortable, but it's, it's just, just bear with me. Has there ever been a time in your Christian journey when you were stronger and more engaged than you are today? Can you think of a time in your Christian life when you were more engaged in the Word of God, more engaged in fellowship with other believers, more engaged in the process of sharing Christ with the people that you know, that you work with, that you live around, that that you share and do life with? Has there ever been a time like that? How do you get back to that place? Or is that even something you want to get back to? See, now you're getting down to where you're getting really honest with yourself. And some people say, yeah, I remember that time. Man, that was tough. I don't want to go back there. Not Paul. He's saying, everything I've done, I haven't got to where I want to get to yet. I want to go further. I want to go deeper. I want to be stronger. You see, it starts with acknowledging that there is somewhere that you are not and setting your sights on getting there, making that journey. If you're going to make that journey, I want you to understand something this morning. You have a far better chance of succeeding on that journey 
if you do it together than if you try to go it alone. So, well, that's got nothing to do with anything. It's got everything to do with everything. See, the third question that I ask myself in my own evaluation is, how are my relationships with other believers? Well, Paul doesn't talk about that. Oh, yes, he does. With one word. With one word, Paul brings that into focus. Well, where's that? I must have missed it. The beginning of verse 13, he says, brothers. Brothers. You might want to make it three words and say, brothers and sisters. You want it to be one word, but maybe a different word? Church. He's talking to his family of faith. Here's the reality. We're better together than we are apart. We go farther when we lock arms and we walk in unity and in unison. Paul is calling them brothers because he wants them to understand we're family. I can't do this by myself. You can't do it by yourself. But if we get together as family, we can do this. And that's not always easy. Like I said, I've read the story of Paul. I hope you have. If you haven't, I hope you'll be challenged to do so. But understand something. Paul had faced false accusations. He had been arrested and imprisoned unjustly. And because of that, you know what happens when somebody gets arrested or imprisoned unjustly whenever they're falsely accused? You know what happens, right? The gossip starts. And when the gossip starts, there are always people who are more than willing to believe it because they don't want to try to elevate themselves to reach where someone else is at. They'd like to bring everybody else back down to where they are. And Paul had been beaten up verbally and emotionally and physically. Paul had experienced this type of abuse. It would be so simple to say, I'm done with you people. I've had it. I'm through. Jesus loves me. I don't need you. And he could have hardened his heart, but he didn't. He could have let his anger burn against those who did him wrong, but he didn't. He wanted his fellow believers, whether they liked him or despised him, whether they supported him or they sought to discourage him, he wanted them to know that his full attention was set on moving forward in the process of growth and discipleship. Now hear me well, friends. Brothers and sisters, too often... Too often, we allow relational struggles to derail our discipleship. Preacher, I'm not sure what you mean. I cannot tell you how many times over the course of 40 plus years in ministry that I've had someone come to me and say, Preacher, I won't be back to this church. So-and-so said this to me. Or they did that to me. Or I heard they were engaged in. You know, I have a tendency when I hear that to think to myself, we're grieving the Spirit of God. Because let me tell you something about God. He is holy, He is righteous, He is just. 
he would be perfectly within his limits to look down at every one of us and say, I'm sick to death of you in the way you live. You're gone. But he loves us. In fact, God demonstrated his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if he has that kind of love for us, shouldn't we have that kind of love for one another? If he's able to forgive some of the things that we do, shouldn't we be able to forgive some of the things that other people do or say to us? I know sometimes people hurt you. Stick around long enough, I'll mess up, I'll hurt you. I'll offend you, I will say something, I will do something, and you're going to be mad enough to spit nails to a wall. I can tell you two things. The first thing I'm going to tell you is it was not intentional on my part. Because I, I don't intend to hurt people. The second thing I can tell you is this. There's not anything I want more than for you to forgive me. Because I know what it is to be forgiven. God has forgiven me. It's the most amazing thing in the world. And I want to experience that from you. But I also want you to experience what it means to forgive. Because when we grow in grace by forgiving others, it, it transforms our lives. We of all people who have experienced the forgiveness of God ought to be able to forgive one another, don't you think? That's kind of weak. So since we're struggling so much with that concept, let me just drive one little point home and I'll, I'll get off of this so you can get comfortable again, okay? Remember this. You can leave here because somebody said something or did something and you can go find another church. And what you're going to find is a congregation filled with imperfect people just like the one you just left. And if you stay there long enough and get engaged enough, you're going to find someone there who will say or do something that will offend you as well. And what you will find is over the course of a lifetime, you'll play hopscotch with churches. You'll go from place to place to place to place to place, and you'll never really find home. There's a reason for that, and there's two reasons for that. Number one, this isn't our home. We're passing through here on our way to home. The second reason is this. We get familiar and comfortable and find a sense of home when we stay somewhere through the good and the bad. Now, just out of care, I'm, I'm going to chase a bunny for a minute. Will y'all let me chase bunny for a minute? Did any of y'all spend time with family during this holiday season? Was it glorious? And was some of it a little dysfunctional? And was there somebody that you thought, boy, I wish they would go home now? See, we all have dysfunction in our families. There, there's no such thing as a fully functional family. I promise you that. There is not one anywhere in the world. Every family is dysfunctional. We just have different types of dysfunction from household to household to household. And, and sometimes we have to work our way through the dysfunction. Sometimes we have to back away from it. But here's the reality. That's my family. And I can talk about them like that, but you say it, we're going to have a problem. Because that's my family. And I'm going to defend my family. And I'm going to stick by my family. And friends, I want you to look around you right now. This is my family. 
And I'm going to defend you, and I'm going to stick by you, and I want you to do the same thing because here's the reality. I don't come to God's house and gather with God's people because you're here. I don't want that to hurt your feelings, but we don't go to worship for other people. We go to worship because we go to meet with Jesus. We go to worship our risen Lord. We don't go to church because it's perfect. It's not We go because we gather with people like us who are imperfect but have been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ. So whenever you get to that place where your team said, well, they didn't speak to me. I'm not going back there. They sat in my chair. How dare they? They told me my hair looked different and I haven't done anything different with it. They're not even paying attention to me. Whatever it might be, friend, please understand, you're not here for them. I tease sometimes because every now and again, some of y'all move around and it really gets confusing for me. But the truth of the matter is we're creatures of habit, aren't we? And most of you come in and you sit in the same place every week. And it doesn't take a, it doesn't take a couple of weeks to find your spot and get comfortable in it. I mean, all I've got to do is look up right now in an instant. I can tell whether or not Janet's in church. All right? I mean, it's just like that. I know where Theo and Celia sit. I know where Ed's going to be every Sunday morning. There are a few of you that move around just to see if you can see if I figure out where you went. And I do, in some sense, I kind of take role like that. But can I tell you something? Whether I catch you or I don't catch you, that's really not the important thing. I want you to know something. Our Father knows whether or not you're in his house on the appropriate day at the appropriate time. He's taking role. So you need to go and worship him. Now there's one more thing I, I, I need to get out there before I quit because I, I want to give you all four of the items that I had on my evaluation list, all right? And to me, this is an important one because... Uh, 2020 is a year, I told my son-in-law the other day, I never imagined I would live to see 2020. Growing up where I grew up in the lifestyle that I grew up in, around the people I grew up in, I never imagined that I would live this long. And I, I counted a blessing and a privilege, and, and you know, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm just going to tell you, but I, I'm going to serve him as long as I've got breath and as long as I'm able. And I'm excited about what a new year brings. But, you know, the other side of it is it gets me to this fourth little evaluation tool and says, okay, this, this, this counts. This is important. Well, what is it? Well, here you go. I ask myself, am I living in aggravation or anticipation? And I think some of us need to ask that question of ourselves. Say, well, what in the world are you talking about? Look at verse 14. Let's look at that last verse very quickly. Paul says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Every one of us has a choice to make. We make it on a regular basis and don't realize we're making it. I'm going to open the can today so you'll at least understand the choice you're making. We can live our lives being aggravated because people fail, because people disappoint us, because the world around us seems to be chaos, seems to be declining. Things aren't going the way we want them. They're not going the way we planned them. It's not all functioning the way we thought it ought to or would function for us. And and so we get to that place where we we live in a state of agitation and aggravation that never seems to go completely away or... We can choose to go faithfully on our journey, 
realizing that lost people are going to act like lost people. This world is under the control of the powers of darkness at this point in time. That even saved people sometimes are going to fall on their faces and disappoint. But we still are called to continue our journey of growth in Christ Jesus. You're going to make a choice. Say, what do you mean? It's really simple. Are you ready? Years ago, I had a pastor tell me, Tim, you're going to make a choice of what kind of dish you're going to be. And I said, what? He said, what kind of dish you're going to be? And I told him, I said, Jim, I've lost, you've lost me. I, I don't understand. What do you mean a dis? He said a dis, D-I-S, dis. You're going to choose what kind of dis you're going to be. I sat and thought for a few seconds, kind of like y'all are doing right now, looking at me thinking, this guy's lost me completely. And he said, you get to choose. When our father looks at you, he's either going to see a disappointment or a disciple. You choose which dish you're going to be. See, we all get to make that choice, friends. A disappointment or a disciple. By the way, as you're making that choice, I want to remind you something. Paul wants us to understand this journey, it has an ending to it. It doesn't just go on perpetually. There is an end to this earthly journey. You know, we're standing here, sitting here, and we're talking about what next year is going to be. I want you to understand something. There are some of us in this room that may not make it to 2020, myself included. We have no ironclad guarantee of the remainder of this day, of tomorrow, or the dawning of 2020. God's Word tells us it's appointed unto men once to die. And after this, judgment. My concern about that whole concept is it doesn't tell us when. It doesn't tell us where. It doesn't tell us how. It just tells us what. It's appointed unto men once to die. But Paul says this, but we know he has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. He has called us to live differently, to be different, to become a new creation in Christ Jesus so that we will be adapted and fitted and prepared to go and live with our Father. And our challenge, our challenge as we cruise into the end of 19 and, and look at the beginning of 20 if we get there, Paul says is to press on toward the goal to win the prize. question you need to ask yourself is, are you ready for 2020? Have you done that spiritual evaluation? Maybe, maybe today's the day you're sitting here doing it, even as I'm sharing this with you. The prize is going to be presented. Paul knew that. He understood that. You see, a a after death, judgment. It's appointed unto men once to die, then the judgment. We're going to meet the master face to face. 
or we are going to meet the eternal God face to face. And that day is drawing closer for each one of us. Paul lived in anticipation of that day. He knew it was coming for him. He knew the end was drawing near. Read the end of 2 Timothy and you tell me this man didn't know he was fixing to lay down his life for his faith. He knew completely that he was getting ready to go and meet the Lord. And I want you to understand, you may not know when, you may not know where, you may not know how, but I will promise you this, the day is drawing closer for each and every one of us, whether it means the end of a beating heart or it means the sound of a trumpet blast. The question is, are you ready? If he were to return today, or if he were to call your name and say it's time, is your life what you want it to be when you stand before him and give an accounting? Before you hang your head, I want you to hear me. Mine is not. I haven't got there. There's more to do. There's more to say. There's more people to tell. There's more ministries to accomplish. I'm not there. If he calls me, I'm ready to go because I know where I will spend eternity. But I am not ready to go because I don't think I've accomplished everything he's given me to do. And friend, if you have that sense, I want to challenge you. Figure out what you have to do in order to get it done. And engage your world with the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Say, what's the big deal? Here's the big deal. Are you ready? I'm going to tell you the big deal and I'm going to shut up. There is no other name given among men. In heaven, on earth, or under earth by which men must be saved. We've got work to do. 2020 is a year to roll up the sleeves, put on your work boots, and get busy. At least that's my game plan. And I hope you'll join me with it. Now give me a moment to get personal again. I want to invite you to join me in that, but you can't join me in that unless you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm always convinced whenever people come together like this in God's house, I look out, I see faces of people that I know, some that I know well, some that I barely know. I see people I don't know. I refuse to take for granted that everyone who comes through the back doors and enters in here and sits down in front of me and listens has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I just, I won't do it. And that's the reason that I want to tell everyone in this room this morning, God loves you. He has a plan for your life. But that plan will never be found. It will never be discovered. It will never be engaged until you come to a place where you understand what I had to understand and everyone else has to understand. We are sinners. That doesn't make us worse than anybody else. God's word says we've all sinned to come short of the glory of God. But he offers us forgiveness because he gave us a Savior. Jesus came and lived a perfect, sinless life. And when he went to the cross, that man who knew no sin became sin. He took our sin upon himself so that when he laid down his life on the cross, he paid the penalty. He paid the price for all of my sin and all of yours and everyone else's. And he offers a gift, and that gift is eternal life. 
But you cannot accept or receive that life until you are willing to acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the son of the father, that he did die and that he is risen from the dead. You have to be willing to acknowledge him as Lord and Savior and give him control of your life. That's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to be born again. We let him take control. And at that point, we begin to follow him, learn his ways, and live in them. And today, you can do that. If you have a desire for that relationship today, the Spirit of God is calling you. You wouldn't have a desire otherwise. And if you need help with that, I'd love to visit with you. I won't embarrass you or put you on the spot, but I'd love to explain to you how you can become a child of God today. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you know in your heart that you belong to him, maybe it's time to do an evaluation today or sometime in the next several days as the new year approaches. I pray that many of you will come to the same conclusion I've reached. It's time to roll up our sleeves, put on our work boots, and get busy. Because we have been invited to be a part of an amazing ministry of kingdom building. Are you ready? Whatever future he has for us, it's waiting out there. So get ready and get engaged. Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a song of commitment, of surrender. I don't want to lay all of this out and not give you an opportunity to respond. It, it may be that you're sitting there saying, I just need to talk to God. Okay, do that. I need someone to pray with me. Come, I'll meet you right here. We'll pray together. You tell me what's going on. I'll try to help you as best I can. You need that relationship with Jesus Christ? Come take me by the hand and say, Pastor, I want that relationship. Okay. Won't embarrass you or put you on the spot, but I'd love to share with you. Maybe you're looking for a church home. You've been, you've been coming. You feel like God's leading you to this place. You need to unite with this church. You want this to be your family of faith. Okay. Let's figure out what we need to do and let's get it done. But, but come and talk to me. Let's, let's figure it out together. What is it that God's speaking to your heart this morning? Just hear his voice. Be obedient. That's all I ask. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you for a record that reminds us what this is about. Oh, listen, we love to celebrate and enjoy the story of the baby. But that's just the beginning of the story. It's about a baby who grew to be a perfect sinless man who laid down his life to pay the price for sinners like me so that he could take a broken, wounded, cracked vessel like I've got and make me a new creation. And I'm so thankful, Father, that you offer that to every person. I'm so thankful to hear, to know from your word that it's not your desire that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Father, I pray today for us in this room, if there's someone here who doesn't know you, draw them to yourself. If there are those who are hurting, struggling, I pray that today your spirit would minister healing into their hearts and their lives. I pray that if there are those you want to add to this church, that you would draw them to this congregation. You would bring them to this place and accomplish your perfect will in their lives. 
Father, we are your creation. Many of us are your children. And we want nothing more than to serve you and to see you served. So, Father, I ask, take these moments. Do what you desire. Be glorified. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.